education team for Jackson Family Minds proudly brings you these podcasts for your listening enjoyment. Hello and welcome to another edition of Bud Break podcast series. Nick Hetzel here again. Uh, very excited to be joined today by winemaker at Hartford Family Winery, Tian Lorden. Tian, how are you today? Hey, Nick, I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on today. I'm excited to be a part of your podcast. We're excited to have you. We, we of course, all know uh, Jeff Stewart. No one loved Jeff. I think many of us know you. Those out there in JFW Nation that don't know you get to know you better today because you are uh, you're bringing it, sir, and, and we appreciate you. I wanted to talk today, like some things that really excite me, and I think things that really help frame the picture with Hartford Court and Hartford Family Wines out in the marketplace is, is how you all make wine. Because while it wouldn't necessarily fit the bubble of natural wine, I feel like we're getting pretty close in what you do, right? When when I taste your wines, when I smell your wines, I, I get a significant sense of place. Um, I get a, a very distinct texture, which I think we'll lean on a little bit as we go into this conversation. But, you know, winemaking is a really it's it's a science. I'm not a scientist. It's also an art. And I think your team at Hartford really nail it. So if you wouldn't mind kind of starting out today talking about sort of soup to nuts, uh, grape to bottle, if you will, on your winemaking practices, also some things that you do that make it as low intervention and expressing the terroir as the wines come across as. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's interesting, you know, uh, you know, winemaking is is both science and art, which myself, I'm I'm neither of those, you know, as well. Not not a scientist, not an artist, but love, you know, dabbling a little bit in, in both of those areas, which is what winemaking gives you. And then at the same time, you're able to spend a lot of time outside as well. So we have a very diverse job, and it's it's fun to be able to be in the cellar, be in the office, be in the vineyard. You get to see a lot of different things and you get to you know, learn a lot of different aspects of this, which I really appreciate. Natural winemaking is interesting because what does that, what does that really mean? You know, the grapes are natural and the fermentation process is natural. So, so how far do we need to go with this or how far back do you need to go with this for it to be called natural winemaking? For us, it's, it's really a hands-off approach, I would say. So the most important thing for us is to go out and find, firstly, all these you know wonderful and unique and interesting vineyard sites. Like that's step one, and the most important step in in this whole process is is to go through this very diverse landscape of the West Coast and and go find sites of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, Zinfandel, and Chenin Blanc even, and, and see how they are unique and how interesting and different they are from each other because of the soils they're growing in, because of the, the slope and the aspect and the way the sun hits it and the way the wind hits it and, and just how all of that influence the, influences the, the way that vineyard grows and the way those uh, grapes ripen. And then what sort of flavors, you know, does it keep and what sort of textures does it keep? So if we go through all of that effort to find these really unique and interesting sites, then we want to make sure once the fruit arrives at the winery that that we don't mess that up. And 
that's where it's important to us to really just let that fruit shine and 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 do it its own thing. I I appreciate you as a South African plugging Chenin Blanc real quick. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always need to throw that in whenever I can. Yes. Well done. So, you know, so what that means then when the fruit comes into the winery and we're you know, we're trying to uh, handle it gently and let it shine through is is firstly we have it picked at night when it's nice and cold and it keeps its integrity and it keeps its acidity and it keeps that freshness we have it picked by hand so it's more gentle as well we have it picked into very small uh, quarter ton or half ton fruit uh, bins so that there's not too much squishing and squashing happening in there and, and breaking of berries and releasing of juice uh, uh, prematurely, which can lead to oxidation and spoilage and all kinds of other things. And that way, the fruit arrives at the winery in the small bin, for the most part, 100% intact, nice and cold, ready to be processed. And for us, that means spreading it out over a sorting belt. So we have two sorting belts, one where we have the, the whole bunches, um, run across where we have a few people sorting through, pulling out leaves, um, any rotten grapes, material that's not, you know, grapes and leaves or Mog, you know, yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. MOG, yeah. Rattlesnakes and scorpions, all that stuff, right? Pruning yeah. shears, fingers, wedding <laughs> rings, whatever. And, uh, and, and actually, uh, it's not as diverse. What we've seen come across the belt over here is what I've seen in South Africa. It's a it's a lot more interesting what we get across the belt there. Chameleons is a is a big one in South Africa, which I actually thought was pretty interesting, but sad at the same time because mostly they, they don't they don't make it. But anyway, yeah. we'll we'll not we'll not venture into that too much. So after the first belt, our fruit goes through the destemmer, uh, and this is where we're uh, gently or as gently as possible separating the berries from the stems or from the rachises. You know you can find. Uh, your distemmers or crushers, as they're called, have rollers on them or can have it so that you can actually break open the berries uh, so that you your juice is released more easily in the tank. We don't have the rollers on ours, so we try to have the berries stay as whole as possible. And that's really for two reasons. Firstly, we like how a cold soak happens in tank with a full berry in it. It's It's safer, one, and also... For a very short time, it's almost like you have a little carbonic maceration effect that's happening inside the berry. And Tion, sorry to interrupt. And that yeah. specifically is for Pinot or is that for both Pinot and Chardonnay? That, that's for the whole berry. All, all the red varieties. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because so the again, Chardonnay that's. Goes, yeah. Chardonnay like goes freshness. The whole, whole right. Sorry to interrupt, but just. For everybody out there thinking of other producers, we have Copan, um, Giant Steps, a similar sort of mentality in retaining freshness in the grape for red varieties is that, that trying to keep the grape intact. Anyway, sorry to interrupt, Tian. Keep that's going. That's right. Yeah, no, that's no, all good. So that and, and then the other thing, of course, is that Pinot Noir is a very, you know, it's a, a delicate skinned grape variety as it is. So more often than not, we do see some berries breaking open even just by the destemming process and and 
And so that's where that cold temperature comes in again. If you have a nice cold berry, it stays intact much better through this destemming process than a warm kind of like flabby berry that's, um, you know, it just, it breaks apart more easily as it's being destemmed. So that makes it more challenging to sort because that second sorting belt is where you're really only looking for pure grape berries to be rolling over the belt. So everything else you're pulling out and if you have a cold, intact berry, it's so much easier to sort through that and, and, and pull out, you know, raisins or, or little green jacks and stems and so on. As this fruit is then on its way to another little bin that will empty into a, um, our fermenters. At that point, now you have a bin filled with perfect little Pinot Noir berries, or, you know, in fact, with reds, it's Pinot Noir, Zinfandel, Syrah berries. They're all, all treated the same for us. And for the most part, we are destemming everything. We have a vineyard here and there or a block here and there where we play with a little bit of whole cluster fermentation. Mm -hmm. And so for us, again, this is part of that not like the minimal intervention type thing um, and showcasing the fruit from the site. So if you have too much stem inclusion, it seems to us that you're, you start to get the stemmy characteristics in the wine as opposed to the purity of fruit that you are getting from the site. So when we do play with some whole clusters or with, or with some stem inclusion, then it's to the extent where it's going to lift the, uh, the, the flavors that are present or it's going to enhance the texture without showing specifically that it's that it's stemmy or a whole cluster, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, absolutely. And I think thinking of other regions in the United States where people are using and experimenting with whole cluster, obviously we know Greg Brewer is a champion of it. You know, the restaurant River Valley, Sonoma County, even though you make wine up and down the coast, I think there is something very charming and beautiful about the fruit character that you get in those wines. And I can completely see why you're destemming most everything. So we've gone, I think one thing that we've laid out thus far is that it's it's very hands-on, it's very small batch. I think that's something very important for everybody to think about, especially as it pertains to the single vineyard wines. So we've gone through and we're, we've gone into fermenters and are we in small open tops or these larger fermenters? Where are we at at this point? So most of them are very small. Fermenters mm -hmm. will ferment in as small as a th as three quarters of a ton, up to seven or eight tons. All of them open tops, where we can do punch downs on them. I think in the in the in the winemaking world, even an eight ton fermenter is is relatively small. Um, you know, you get you get huge huge tanks out there. But anyway, that's those are some of the biggest ones for us. And so the, our favorite tanks really are two, three, four ton fermenters. Those are, are very small. And then when we talk about a, a three quarter ton or a one ton fermenter, that's it's that's small and more experimental, which is fun to work with as well. And we, you know, we can try different things there and, and really learn about a site. But when we have these small fermenters, you're just, you have a little bit more control over it too. And what that means is that you have a big vineyard out there. We walk through these vineyard sites, taste the fruit all the time, and we, you know, we've realized that a block isn't necessarily consistent. So we don't necessarily want to take one block and just ferment that one block. And that's now that's a wine lot. 
if it tastes different at the top of the block versus the bottom of the block, then we'd like to keep that separate. And so then that would become two separate fermenters. So if we're only getting four tons of fruit out of this block, then that means we need two two-ton fermenters. So you know that the fact that we have all these small uh, tanks out there is you know another tool for us that helps us be able to split a block up in these tiny pieces. I mean the vineyard management team they they hate us of course because sometimes they need to pick one block over three different picks, but that's it makes a difference in the end that it. It shows in the wines, I think. It shows in the, the texture and the character. So I want to I want to kind of um, continue on keeping this notion of low intervention. I mean, again, everything we've talked about now is you know it's hand harvesting, it's small block fermentations. You know, some things that kind of make up nuts and bolts of low intervention are native yeasts and natural ML things being unfined, unfiltered. Um, take us through native yeast fermentation. Obviously, you have 40-some-odd vineyards that you're sourcing from, and they're all in the same place. Where do those yeasts sort of collide? Like, how does that how does that work in the winemaking process? And do you ever have to, like, push them along a little bit, these fermentations? We do. We do have to push them along sometimes, but most most often not. And that's uh, it's it's the very best when we're able to not... Uh, mess with them at all. So, you uh, as you know, a lot of wineries when their fruit comes in, they'll add, you know, uh, sulfur dioxide or sulfur at the at the crusher, uh, and that's the very first step in protecting the grapes from oxidation and from uh, microbial spoilage and so on. We try to really, really limit adding sulfur at that point, and if the grapes are in good condition, which We've been lucky enough that that is the case. Then we don't add anything. So no sulfur is added in the beginning, right? So so you have grapes going into a tank. Don Hartford likes to call the winemaking high risk, high reward. And I think this is where that starts already. It is higher risk not adding sulfur at this point because there's, you're, you're on this tipping point of, of the scales for which direction it could go with spoilage, et cetera. I believe us not adding sulfur at that point helps that whatever organisms are present on the grapes have the ability to survive and they're not necessarily all bad so you know in the old days we would add sulfur basically knock back or kill everything that's present and then inoculate with a commercial yeast strain that you have much more control over or you are much more familiar with and that and that were it made wines that were fine. They were they were great. I mean, amazing wines were made that way or are being made that way still. But for us, I think it's really fun to go through the whole spectrum of naturally occurring organisms that's on the grape. So we go into the tank, you know, like you said, we have the cold soak going on. So it's like a five or so day uh, process where we have a temperature at about 50 degrees. So not all of the organisms are able to grow in that cold or thrive, but they're able to survive. And, and but others are growing a little bit. So now, so and as each organism is like growing or maybe even starting the fermentation process in there, it's contributing a tiny part to the final product. So it's 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 giving layer upon layer of complexity uh, to the wine instead of it just being 
Saccharomyces that's finishing the whole fermentation. Maybe you have you have some lactobacillus or whatever other organism it could be that that couldn't even finish the fermentation. It could probably go until four or five percent alcohol and it'll die at that point, right? Because of, of the alcohol. And then a different organism will take over the fermentation and go for a little bit. And then you know, throughout all of this, Saccharomyces obviously is there as well, and it's gonna finish this whole process. It's gonna take the race all the way to the end. But in the process, each of these little animals have have imparted a little bit of themselves or a little bit of their flavor to the wine, um, which is part of like that texture and that flavor and that richness, yeah, and, and kind of the length of the wine, what we believe in. Yeah, I, I love that. I think showing that this sort of, what you're describing sounds like I'm at, like at a dead show or something. You know, it's like, I feel like I'm like <laughs> dancing around a bunch of hippies. Right, right. You know, no shocker, sure. Jeff Stewart. It's involved at Hartford Court, uh, but what that brings, what that brings, is is flavor, and to me, it really helps uh, drive that sort of site-specific thing that you guys achieve all of the time. I, I want to be a little bit more sort of Pinot forward today, right? Obviously, you make beautiful Chardonnays, and I know your your Chardonnays and, and everything go through natural ML. You're not inoculating. Let's kind of gear more towards the final processes with making Pinot Noir. Let's be specific with Pinot, I think, at this point in the conversation. So everything, to the best of my knowledge, that you produce, maybe with the exception of Shannon, uh, <laughs> is unfined and unfiltered. So we, we've talked, you've talked at length beautifully about how that sort of native yeast fermentation adds character and sense of place um, and texture to the wines. Um, what does being unfined and unfiltered bring to that? party to bring to you know the, the flavor and aroma profile of your wines yeah for sure um and the chenin blanc is also on our native fermentation and on fine and on okay fine. just have to throw that in as well <laughs> good thank you <laughs> uh yeah so the pinot finishes fermentation and tank you know two to two to three weeks goes to barrel all french oak where we are still just leaving it to do its thing uh, malolactic fermentation will kick off in the barrels by itself. That's native as well. So that's, you know, um, another part of the process that takes a little bit longer than usual because it's a it's a native process as opposed to adding bacteria that will finish the, the fermentation for you. But throughout this whole process of uh, cold soak fermentation, malolactic fermentation, all of that, you have the organisms that did that, right? So, so those organisms are present in the wine. And then you also have grape solids that are present in the wine. So you have all this natural stuff, really. There's stuff in this wine. So when you look at a fresh wine, it's hazy. You can't, you can't even see through it. But through the process of you know, gravity or gravity's help, that stuff settles out in a barrel. Um, and that's what the lees is. So for those of you who've been at Hartford, you've seen our barrel with the glass head and you see the lees at the bottom of the barrel. So it settles out and with Chardonnay, we'll go in and stir that up to kind of uh, contribute to that richness and roundness in the Chardonnay, you know, mid palate. With Pinot Noir and, 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 and other reds, we stir every now and again. Not so much because it's more there about the, you know, kind of the purity of fruit and the minerality and the texture and so on. So we don't we don't stir too much there. But you have the same effect. You have everything settling out 
down to the bottom of the barrel. So now when we're trying to have a cleaner wine, because ideally we don't put a bottle out there in the market that's super cloudy wine with a bunch of stuff in it, but you pump the wine out from the barrel into a tank. And when you're doing that, we're called, we call it racking. So you, you're basically, you're taking the wine off of the solids. You take it off of the solids, you put it in tank and you wash that barrel and then you can go back to the barrel with that wine um, or perhaps you're out in tank for bottling. But this is a way to get the wine a little cleaner without filtering it. You, you know, fining and filtration is, filtration is basically pushing the wine through a substrate, you know, filter pads or, or diatomaceous earth or whatever that's compacted in a way where there's tiny pores in there. The wine goes through this and the haziness, so grape solids or, or yeast partic- uh, you know, yeast uh, molecules, they're bigger than the pores, so they stay behind. So the wine that comes out on the other side, it's cleaner. So you have a cleaner wine on the other side. Um, fining is when you're adding something to the wine that binds up to these particles and then settles out. And then, it, and then the wine's cleaner. So those two, those are the two ways that you can get a wine cleaner, or you can just wait for gravity and let it settle out and perhaps not be as clean as something has been, that's been filtered, but still quite clean. And so we prefer not to do the filtration or the fining because we believe it kind of messes with everything that we've been trying to do until this point, right? Finding the vineyard site, being so gentle with the fruit, having a native fermentation, all of that. What if that filtration or that fining is, is changing the fruit in the, that you find? What if it's changing the texture or the, the mouthfeel, the richness? You know, what if some of the flavor compounds actually could get stuck or stripped out of the wine? And so you, it's a risk that we just don't want to take. It's because it's a possibility that you're losing a little bit of your wine when you're putting it through that process. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. There's always going to be objections to everything, right? Uh, somebody might object to that you are finding and filtering. Somebody else might object to say that, oh, my wine is cloudy or slightly cloudy or maybe doesn't have this super shiny, brilliant color to it. But at the end of the day, I think the argument is, is that it's the full process of what you're doing, right? I've had some Hartford, you know, Chardonnays that have been a little on the cloudy side. You taste them and the texture just blows you away where there is, um, there's weight yet lift at the same time with mouthfeel. You know, same pertains to Pinot Noir and, and you're talking about retaining that minerality and the freshness. I mean, all of these things, everything you're talking about, hand harvesting to gently crushing or not crushing the grapes, I should say, de- gently destemming them to retain them as whole berries as much as possible during the fermentation process, all the way through use, using, you know, native yeasts and the, you know, we didn't even get into the cooperage program that you guys have with all of your barrels. All of these things lead to a product of something that that shows place, that shows freshness, but also has ageability to them. And so, it's great to hear it all, you know, again, from, from start to finish. I just hope that everybody loves telling that story while telling the story of Hartford um, and the origins of how Hartford Family Winery began is fantastic to me. Being able to take people on an armchair adventure, you know, whether they be uh, people that love natural wine or love more traditional winemaking, I think 
they can find a home with the wines that you're producing over there. And so um, we really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, as Jeff, Jeff always says, it's not about doing, you know, a few, it's not only about doing a few of the basics, right? It's a thousand little steps in the winemaking process from the beginning to the end. And it's each tiny little tweak that you can do or not do that contributes to the final product being so much better, all those little things. And so for us, you know, maybe we do add, maybe if we added some sulfur in the beginning, it'll make it easier for us, but that's one tiny step that that's changing the way the wine tastes, right? And and not fining and, and not filtering and leaving a little bit of the naturally present sediment or, or other you know, product that's naturally in the wine, leaving a little bit of that there makes the wine a little bit better. It's just another little tiny step that gets us to the point where this is a great wine, um, but it's a great wine that tastes so much different from one that's made from a vineyard that's growing four miles down the street, right? Because of the elevation and because of the wind uh, influence that site, that, that site's getting. So I mean, you, if you go to these vineyard sites, you you understand it even more, right? Why would you want to mess with that, right? They're they're exactly. magnificent vineyard sites, so 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 don't you dare mess with it, you know? Is is really what it comes down to. Uh, we're so fortunate to be able to work with these, and so just uh, let let these wines shine and and uh, get our filthy winemaker hands out of there as much as possible. Well, uh, I, we will end on filthy winemaker hands. <laughs> I can't think of a better way to end this this uh, podcast today on on Hartford Family Winery winemaking practices. Again, everyone out there, this is this is just the tip of the rabbit hole. Uh, next time you see Tion and Jeff, keep digging and keep digging and keep digging because there there's more amazing things to find out. But Listen, uh, thank you, Dion, for making such amazing wines and, and having us uh, have the ability to represent them out there in the world. Everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Butt Break podcast series for Tion Lorden. I am Nick Hepstel signing off. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Nick. Thank you.